Good morning once again, and I guess I can re-welcome you, but thank you so much for being with us. If you have your Bible, we are going to be in the book of 1 John. If you're not familiar with your Bible, um, let me help you find it. If you turn all the way to the end, you'll find yourself in the book of Revelation, and you can start flipping backwards, and you'll get to 1 John pretty quickly. So, um, But uh, the book of 1 John, if you find yourself in First Peter or Second or Third Peter, then you've gone a little too far. If you find yourself in Third Peter, you're in a mess because there's not actually one there. So, uh, um, but uh, uh, if you find yourself in Second or Third John, just use your, your logic. You've gone too far. All right. But First John chapter four. While you're turning, let me just make reference to something else that was in your worship guide this morning. Uh, there's just a 2021, 2022 year in review. Um, this is, it actually runs September to September. We're a little late getting it out to you, but if you just want some idea about some things that your church accomplished in the church year that runs September to September, uh, these are some of the things that we have accomplished. A couple of things that jump off the page for me that I think you should know. Our average worship attendance from September to September is 314. If we hit 314, that's like a low Sunday anymore. We're, we're growing uh, pretty rapidly right now. There's probably 360 or 70 of y'all here this morning, just kind of give you an idea. Our, our actual worship attendance in the month of August is over 400, so just kind of give you an idea of what some of those numbers look like. Our giving is up 25% year over year, which we celebrate, and uh, you can see some really cool things. 400, I think 431 uh, meals served to families in need in one way or another over the past uh, year. Um, Sunday school or life group attendance has really exploded. Uh, a lot of other things are listed there. So uh, take, take time this morning just to look at that. And uh, you'll be seeing some more about budget and stuff coming out in the next couple of weeks as we approve the 2023 church budget. All right. First John chapter 4 beginning in verse 7. We stand when we read God's Word because it's a big deal. So I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me and honor God's Word. And I'm going to read to you in First John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for the love that you have shown to us in the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord God, that you give us the opportunity and the privilege to love one another in your name. And I thank you for all those who are gathered here today. I pray, God, that we would leave this place more convinced of your love for us, and more compelled to share that love with others. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can be seated. This morning we are working through our Christmas or Advent sermon series called Home for the Holidays. I'll remind you that a part of that we've created a devotion guide. Those are in the lobby. If you haven't already picked one up, there's some out there. There's a couple back here. There's one per family. I would encourage you to grab those if you, if, uh, you don't have one. If you know somebody that would really benefit from that, grab one and share it with them. We're doing all that we can to help folks to really focus on Jesus Christ this Christmas season. I hope that some of you have been able to use it. 
Uh, my family and I have been working through that devotion guide uh, nightly this week, and it's really been a blessing to us. I hope it has for you. I know I had one young, young father grab me in the hallway Wednesday night and said, Craig, I have, have, have been so grateful for that tool because it's helping me to lead my family in devotion. So I want you to know that even if you're not comfortable, you've never led devotions in your home, grab that book. Start on week two, okay? Don't worry about what you missed. Start where you are. Start on week two. Everything you need is in there. You just read it at the kitchen table or read it in the den and enjoy that time. Pray together. Pass it around. Maybe some of the kids can participate in the reading and whatever it is. But all that to say, we're right in the middle of our Christmas or our Advent sermon series. The sermons go along with the devotion. So last week we talked about the hope that is promised in Jesus Christ. And as we've been reminded this morning already, we're going to be focusing on love. And so this morning, the question that we're wrestling with this is this, is love important? Is love really important? Or is it that important? I'm curious, do you have a favorite superhero? I mean, seriously, let's just, let's just be childish for just a minute, okay? I do, and I know that you do, and some of you that are like, yeah, you're too serious for this, don't lie. You have mine, without a doubt, Wolverine, absolutely, right? That's, that's mine. I, I love everything about half since I was a kid. You know, he's got those big claws that come out. You know, it's great. Amazing healing properties. I mean, this is awesome. Some of y'all, y- y'all need to chill out. Who, tell your neighbor who your favorite superhero is. Just do it right now. Don't act, uh, who said Jesus? <laughs> who is that? Cheat. Good gracious. Wow. You know, y'all act like that and non-church people aren't going to come back, okay? I'm just going to tell you that. Who is it? You know, I, even if you don't have a favorite super, what would be your superpower? Right? Some of you moms are like, I want to be omnipresent. We're pretty sure you already are. Y'all hear absolutely everything, you know? Some of you kids are like, yeah, I think my mom is actually living in my brain. She hears it all. She knows it all. She's everywhere I turn. Maybe at some point you've even been guilty of desiring to be like God and have some of his powers. Now, obviously, that's wrong. But even if you wanted it, you wouldn't get it. None of you could be omnipotent or omniscient. None of you could be omnipresent. We can't be all-powerful or all-knowing or in all places. But, you know, you can have at least one of God's powers. We're going to see this morning, the Bible says that God is love. And God commands us to love. If it is a desire on your part, I want you to know that you can be at least somewhat like God by attempting to love other people. Love is not just for the holidays. Love is a command that God gives to all of his children You can love, you should love, and yes, love really is that important. The first thing this morning that we see in this sermon is that God is love. God is love. He doesn't merely 
identify as love. He is love. You understand there's a difference there. I could dress up in a costume and pretend to be Wolverine, but I never will be. I won't be a, a cartoon character. I'm, I'm just Craig. I can, I can tell you that I'm somebody or something else, but at the end of the day, objectively, what I am and who I am is Craig Thompson. Objectively, I'm the father to four children, the husband to one, and I have the world's greatest dog. All of those things are objectively true about me. Some of you don't believe that about the dog, but that's just because you're lying to yourselves that you have a better one, right? But the truth of the matter is we are who we are. And when the Bible says that God is love, it's not like this is just an aspect. The Bible says, period, God is love. Now watch, God is love, but love is not God. God is love, but love is not God. That's important for us to keep in mind. God is love because God gives himself to others and seeks their benefit. But love is not God. Now, we, we probably need to give a little bit more definition to what love is. A dictionary definition of love says this, that it is a feeling of deep affection. A feeling of deep affection. Now, it's that dictionary definition of love that I think has gotten us into a lot of trouble as a culture because it's a feeling according to that dictionary definition. The truth of the matter is that biblically speaking, love is far more than a feeling. It's a commitment. DC Talk said it best. How many of you grew up in the church remember? Love is a verb. Thank you, Danae. I appreciate that. Love is an action. It is what we do. It's, it's more than just me. This is... Time out. Let's just step just aside from it. This is why we have the breakdown in family that we have in our world today, at least part of the reason. Because somewhere along the way, we've bought the lie that I can fall into and out of love. Well, the reality is love is a decision that I make. When I got married, 2005, what's that, 18 years ago, 17 years ago. When I got married 17 years ago, I made a commitment to my wife. Some people even say a covenant commitment to my wife. I committed before her and the Lord that I would love her. That the, the very fact that I could commit to that love helps us to understand that I didn't say I would feel for her. Now I hope, and I'm going to tell you, 95, 98, 99 and a half percent of the time, my feelings for her are strong. I have a strong commitment, a strong desire for her. I love being around her. I'd like to think that at least 80% of the time she feels the same way about me. But love, biblically speaking, even when I may not feel that love, even when I don't feel, as this definition said, a deep affection for her, biblical, godly love says that I am committed to her even when I don't feel feel it folks that should encourage us because God is committed to us in his love even when we don't deserve it even when we were sinners at the right time Christ died for us that's because God is love the Bible gives us a different understanding in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that's already been read. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It goes on to say love never 
fails. God is love. But look, love is not worthy of our worship. Love is not worthy of our God is worthy of our worship. Love is not a person. Love is an action that is accomplished by a person or being. So God is love, but love is not God. We can't get caught up in this weird idea that if I'm just trying to be loving to others, that somehow or other I've taken care and accomplished the things that are necessary. That everybody who loves is godly. No, 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 no. Everybody who worships the Lord, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, everyone who worships that God and who's been saved in the blood of Jesus Christ, those people know Christ and they experience the love of God and they share the love of God with others. God is love. We go on to say not only that that love is not God, but watch this. God is love is also the clearest expression of the doctrine and the nature of God. God is love is the clearest expression of the doctrine and the nature of God. Somebody says, uh, somebody says, who is God? Well, God is love. What is God? God is love. You know, we don't need to qualify this statement. We don't need to qualify this statement. I don't need you to try to be so theologically acute and accurate that you feel like you've got to qualify all of these things. The Bible says God is love. And then there's a period right there. It's pretty cool. God is love. You want to explain God to other people? You only have three words. You only have two seconds to do it. God is love. Period. It's incredible. It's powerful. It's strong. Now, it's interesting to me. Why does John, the Apostle John, is who... I believe, and many other scholars believe that, that wrote this, this, this book. Why, why does John speak so much about love? Now, the book of 1 John is written to a church that's wrestling with a first century heresy. All right? And, and what they're doing is it, it, we believe that John is wrestling or writing to a church that's wrestling with a group of people that are, that are beginning to sort of believe or, 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 or accuse the church of, of, of not being like spiritual enough. So if you can imagine, you've got this group of people that have split off from the church and they've left and they said, we've got this secret knowledge and we're the ones that are the most spiritual. And then they say to the church, you need what we have. They've, they've sort of developed this splinter group. And so the Apostle John, the elder, as he's known at this point in time, the old man writes them a letter. And in this letter, over and over and over again, he talks about love, 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 love. And I'll be honest with you, I've, I've read 1 John, I've preached through 1 John, I've studied 1 John. If you took Greek ever in your life, you, tried, you had to wrestle through 1 John because the Greek in 1 John is, is relatively approachable for somebody other than me. Um, seriously, it's bad. Uh, but... What is it about love in the book of 1 John? Well, the reason I believe that John emphasizes love so much is because you've got this divisive splinter group that's left. And what they've said is that real Christianity is wrapped up not in this world, but it's this spiritual experience. And the real like varsity level Christianity are those people who are not... um, occupied and controlled by worldly and earthly desires and the flesh doesn't hold them back. Instead, they've entered into another spiritual realm with a special knowledge. And John, I believe, is getting around to something similar to what James says. He says it's not enough to know some things. You've got to do what the Bible says. 
And he says to these people in the church, I don't want you to worry too much about this supposed special knowledge that you do or don't have. I want you to remember what Jesus said. And Jesus said, the world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. John writes to the church and he says, the most godly thing that you can do is live for Jesus in this moment and allow the love of God to permeate every single aspect of your life. Just as Jesus Christ came to earth as a real flesh and blood human being and loved in his body, so too must you love one another. John is saying that the love that we share for others is so important and so powerful that it even is important for opposing heretical teachings that would come outside the church. Folks, listen to me. If you do not love others well, you need to ask whether or not you belong to the Lord. This is a warning shot even for evangelical Christians who love Jesus and love God's Word. If you're more concerned with making sure that you are right all the time than making sure that you've loved others very well, caution, warning, do you belong to Christ? Love others. God is love. So the first point, God's love. The second thing we see, not only God is love, but God has Loved, okay? So God is all loving and holy and just. But love is not just who God is today. God has always been loving. He's always been love. And, and God has shown his love for, the, for us in the past. First John 4 9 says, What? In this, God's love has been made manifest. You can read that with me. Um, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. God's love has been. There's a past tense made manifest in what? In the appearance, that is, the birth, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the clearest expression of God's love. If God is love is the clearest way for that, 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 that doctrine to be expressed in words, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the clearest physical expression of God's love. Do you want to see God showing his love to the world? Look no further than the cross of Calvary. It is there that God's love was made manifest. That's a big word. What's it mean? It means that it was made known, that it was publicly put on display, that everybody was given the privilege of seeing God's love. But it's important for us to keep in mind, not only is it a clear expression of God's love, we're going to throw up another slide real quickly. Watch this. The gospel is an historical event with spiritual implications. We must never miss this. We can sometimes sort of speak of the gospel in these esoteric spiritual terms. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is an historical event. Because the gospel is this, that Jesus lived 33 years of sinless perfection, died a sinner's death on a cruel Roman cross, laid in a grave for three days and rose again. And then 40 some odd days later was was ascended into heaven where today he is at the right hand of the Father. That's what, that's what the gospel is. It's historical. We can put a pin in a dateline and say this is the historical moment when it happened. Right here, that's the gospel. 
Christ died and rose again. That's history. Watch, though. Christ died for your sins and rose again is theology. We do not have questions about the historicity of the gospel. It's in the theological implications and application of the gospel that we get into something that is not historical, but theological and personal experiential. John uses the historical acts of God in the gospel, however, to more clearly define love. Because why? Because you haven't actually loved somebody until you've done it in space and time. You understand? Like I, I can feel love for my wife, for instance, but feeling it and sort of hiding it up in my heart, right? And somebody says, Angela, does Craig love you? And she goes, wouldn't this be the worst thing ever? Well, I'm sure he does. Folks, these are the signs of an unhealthy marriage. Well, does, does your husband love you? Well, I'm sure he does. These are signs that I unfortunately deal with far too often with teenagers. Do you know your parents love you? Well, I'm sure they do. Well, what do you mean? Don't you know? Well, I mean, they never said it, but I... I, I I can tell. Folks, listen to me. Some of you are attempting to live your life for the Lord this way. With no external application, no, no external love bleeding out. But somehow or other you're going, well, I love him in my heart. And so I'm, I'm sure that everybody knows. God ties the love of God with the actions of God in history. And then he compels us to love others well. God has loved. God uses, or John used these historical facts. Watch. Love is this. God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Like, how do you know God loves you? It's pretty simple. He sent Jesus. And Jesus died as a propitiating, that is a, an atoning sacrifice. To overcome, to satisfy my guilt. Propitiation means that he removed the guilt from my sin. And, and, and look, just like love is more than a feeling, guilt here is more than a feeling. Sinners are guilty in their rebellion against God and deserve God's wrath. I had an opportunity to pray with a young man to receive Christ this week. Thrilled my soul. But you know what was amazing about that young man? He knew that he did not deserve this love. But what a gift to know that even though it is undeserved, that God has sent Jesus Christ to atone for our sins. See, Jesus died to remove the claim of wrath and judgment against all who will call upon his name. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you stand under the wrath of God. I don't say that with joy. I say that with words of warning. Your eternal life is in peril today because you've not given your life to Christ. But the love of God was made manifest, made known, clearly displayed in this, that Jesus Christ died on a cross and he took the punishment for your sin so that you might have eternal life. You say, how do I know God loves? Because he took my place on a cross. 
He died for me and he died for you. God's love is in the past. It's in the present. It is historical. God is love and he made it known. God's love has been made known in Jesus to the world. And look, it's been made known to you. We think about the love of God right here at Christmas. We are reminded, Pastor Kevin did a great job of just pointing out that we've got to connect the cradle with the cross. The same Jesus that we celebrate in his birth at Christmas is the Jesus, the God-man, right, who died and rose again at Easter. Let me be very clear. So this paper doesn't tell the whole story, so our, our attendance is growing and all these people are coming in from everywhere. But here's what I know based on what our average attendances keep looking like and what I know because i talked to a whole lot of you. A lot of you didn't grow up in the church who are here today. A lot of you don't have a spiritual background. Okay? I talked to somebody just this week said, I understand that, that awkwardness that you spoke about in the church because I feel that way because I don't have a church background. So, so listen to me. First of all, please don't feel awkward for being here. I'm thrilled to death that you're here. So glad that you're here. I don't care why you're here. I don't care if you're here because it's Christmas and you thought maybe I'd show up. You know, your mama made you come. Your wife asked you to be here. I'm just thrilled that you're here. But I want to explain something that maybe you're not aware of. You see, at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. You probably figured that much out by now. But perhaps you haven't put it all together that Jesus Christ is not just another person. Jesus is literally God, the God of the universe that came to earth in the flesh as a human being. He actually loved you so much that he would clothe himself in flesh and be born in a manger, born of a virgin, and live in this world for 33 years and then die for your sin. It's important that we help you to connect the dots. Now listen, especially if you're just here and you've never heard that story. I want you to know it doesn't matter if today's the first time you ever connected the dots or the 30th time you've heard this and it's finally coming into clear view for you. I want you to know this. Jesus was born and died for you. He really did. Salvation can be yours. See, there's some of you, I don't have to tell you that you're a sinner. You've kind of gotten that figured out all right already. And even if you didn't figure it out for you, you know everybody else is one, right? Well, 1 John says that Jesus is the propitiating sacrifice. You're living in sin today, and you don't see a way out. Jesus Christ died to make that way. God is love, and he has loved, and he's loving you right now. And then finally this morning, God compels you to love others. Do you want to be like God? I mean, seriously. Not, not like I'm trying to be him and take over his throne. But do you just want to be like God? Love other people. God is love. Do I want to be like God? Then here's what I want people to be saying. Craig is a lot of love. I can't be all that God is. But man, I would love for people to think that about me. 
I would love it if people are, are trying to describe Craig Thompson and the first word is not, what a preacher, you know, or <laughs> that'd be awesome. Um, just saying, if you want to write that in a Christmas card, that'd be, I'd appreciate it. Don't. Uh, it'll just go to my head. It'd be really bad. Um, but seriously, like, I, I, what, how great would it be if people just said, man, I know that when I am with him, I am loved. I'm safe. It would be amazing. That should be our desire, folks. God has created us in his image as his image bearers to care for the garden, the world that he's put us into. If God's created us to be like him, what better way can we be like him than to be loving to those around us? What does it mean to love? It means to do all that I can to create a a hedge of protection and of love and of care around all those people that I encounter on a regular basis. My heart was just filled to overflowing last night. We had a bunch of kids at our house. I love it when they come in. I love it. I love our kids. I love these kids. They, they, they wander in and, and, and I do all that we can to make sure that in my home they feel safe and loved and cared for until they break something and then I send them away. Um, I don't, but I want to. You know, but that, that, but what, was it, what does it look like for you to do that in your life? To make sure that when you sit across... Men, what's it look like to make sure that when you sit across the table from a woman or a child, that they sit there knowing that they are safe and protected and cared for? That they have nothing to be afraid of? That you're not looking at them with lustful intent? That your intention for them is not to exploit them? That your intention for them is only to love them and to care for them, protect them? For the people around you to know that they're safer because you're in the room or you're on the sidewalk or you're in their life. God is love, and he's called us to love others as he has. Love others. Look, God shows his love to the world through the actions of his church. Listen to me. Some of you have really gotten hurt in the church in the past, okay? That happens. I, 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 I know that that happens, and I'm really sorry. For any of you that, that had a church that let you down, I'm really Sorry. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are some churches that are not doing what they are supposed to do. But that's their sin that needs to be reckoned with. Right? The church is the creation of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and for the good of the world. And it is through his church that Christ is making his name known. We have a responsibility. Remember, that's not the building, it's the people. The church is the only hope for the world. It is. Period. What does that mean? That means we have a responsibility to do all that we can to strengthen the church, to love within the church. Now you think I'm a little crazy. Let's let's work through this. Watch. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Look at this progression. So we love God, and then we love one another. This is what the expectation is. Jesus, again, said to his disciples, the world will know that you're my disciples by your love for all them. No, he didn't say that. He said, by your love for one another. There's a responsibility within the church that the church love one another. Period. 
Love each other. That person sitting beside you is supposed to be the object of your affection and your love and your care and your concern. That's what the Bible teaches us. That as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, we are to love one another. You say, whoa, 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 Craig. Hold on. What about the Great Commission? Listen to me. We're also supposed to love aliens and orphans and widows. We are supposed to do all of that. But when we get, so that means we still have to love the world. But there's a direction that we're supposed to move. We love God, right? You can then put in your family. And then we love one another, but that, that's sort of wrapped up in there. Love one another. And then the love flows from out of the one anotherness to the world around us. Now look, if we get this progression backwards, we will fall in love with the world and forget about the God who exists. You say, but Craig, if I commit all of my, my heart and my resources and time to the church, then the world will be let down. Let me tell you something. Love has this way of multiplying and not dividing if we'll keep everything moving in the right direction. You know, I'll never forget, we had a kid. <laughs> oh, I mean, obviously, I'll never forget that. But um, Wyatt's my oldest, and we had a Wyatt, and he was awesome in at least part of the ways. He didn't sleep, but other than that, he was a pretty good kid. We liked him. Uh, and then along comes this other kid, and, and Aubrey's on the way, and uh, like, like 19 months later, and, and it's like I, I remember just being so nervous. Because how in the world could I ever love another child the way that I loved that one? You know? And then, lo and behold, I laid eyes on her, and my love didn't divide. My love multiplied. Turns out that when another child came along, I actually loved that one just as much as I loved the other one. Turns out I actually loved them both more than I would loved one of them all by themselves. And then we bring two more kids into our family and, and, and our love just continued to multiply over and over. And, and, and that's what happens is God brings people into your life. Side note, I've been trying to convince Angela this is the reason we need another dog in our family so that we can multiply the love that we have. I feel like I've tried to explain this is a spiritual necessity, but she is not buying not one minute of it. Y'all, this is why, though, we've got to make certain... That we, we orient our love in the proper direction. We love God first, right? Love one another. And then it's, it's in the overflow of that love that we, it begins to bleed out. Some of you aren't loving the world well because you've not loved the people closest to you well. Some of you have tried to ignore the people closest to you and, and, and sort of direct this, this love for the world. And guess what happens? Your family begins to break down. Your church begins to break down. Because you've, you've not rightly ordered your love. What is the right direction? Love God first. Why? Because he first loved us. That's what he goes on to say. We don't love. Like love doesn't exist because we love God. Instead because God loves us. Watch. John says let us love one another. In the proper order. Because if they are disordered, we will find, as I've already said, that we may love the world well, but forget about the God who's put us here. But then watch. God's love is perfected in you as you love others. This is nuts to me. It, it, it just like blew me away this week. Beloved, if, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. That means this, that God is sanctifying you and working in your life as you love others. 
God is sanctifying you and working in your life as you love others. See, Christianity is not merely an academic enterprise. This brings us all the way back around to the reason that John wrote 1 John and the reason why love is so important, so necessary in this book. Because we had these people that were caught up in their academic experience of what it must be to achieve the second level of spiritual maturity in their love or in their commitment to Christ. And so what they did is they composed, or at least began composing this this theological belief system that Jesus was far too great. God is too great to have actually lived in this gross, filthy, dirty world. And the only reason that people believed it is because they were, that they were just living in this sort of uh, lower level of Christianity. But once they achieved the greater level, what they'll understand is that what they thought they saw wasn't what they actually saw. That God didn't actually say the things they thought he said. That, that God is far more spiritual than we could ever know. And once they get to that level, they, they, they can build an antinomian structure, which means it really doesn't matter what we do in this world as long as my head is in the right place, right? I can live however I want because Jesus didn't actually exist in the physical realm. And so the body, the physical realm, the flesh, it's just sin anyway. So I can do whatever I want as long as my head is in the right place. And John says, no, no, no. Now imagine, this is the Apostle John who says, by the way, I was there with him. Remember the one who reclined on Jesus. This is who John is. The one who shared meals with Jesus. The one who sat around the table on the day that Jesus died and said, this is my body broken. This is my blood poured out because I love you. And John says, if you want to represent Christ to the world, and if you want to grow in godliness, love others as Christ loved His church. Love them as He loved you. And he says, watch. As you put into practice the things that Christ has taught you, His love is being made complete, being brought to perfection, being brought full circle in your life. In other words, God is sanctifying you as you put into practice the things that He has taught you. God compels you to love others because it really is that important. But here's what I want to make sure you understand. There are at least three reasons why it's that important. First of all, it's important because God commanded it. Right? Can we just be okay with the fact that sometimes God is able to look at us and say, because I said so? You know? Why? Sometimes we need to quit asking why. But, but, but in His grace and love, He's given us not just... Because I said so. So first, because he said so. Second, because the world around us needs it. And third, because you need it. You actually become more like God as you live out his commandments. You experience the love of God more deeply and richly as you share the love of God with others. 
It's amazing to me the way that everything sort of works together in God's Word. And as we're wrestling through, I don't know if we're wrestling, maybe that's not the right word. As we're working through, working towards Christmas Day as a church body, I'm just reminded that last week as we talked about hope and this week as we talked about love, the two are so intermingled and related. The world around us is in desperate need of hope. And the world around us will find hope as we love them in the name and in the ways of Jesus Christ. Folks, when's the last time that you honestly just tried to love somebody just because Jesus told you to? I don't mean in some kind of super spiritual praying for the person. I mean Jesus told you to love everybody. Right? That there was just that person that you encountered. Maybe that person in your life. Maybe that person on the street. Maybe that person in the store. Maybe that really aggravating aunt that you're going to have to eat Christmas dinner with. Or mother-in-law, ladies. I'm sorry. I mean, not Angela's mother-in-law, but maybe yours. When's the last time that you looked at them and you said, this is a person created in the image of God. And if God loved me enough to send Jesus Christ to die for me, then the least I can do is love them. See, God loves you and invites you to join him in loving others. We started off asking that question, what's your superpower? Can you be like God? Think about this. God loves you and then God says, hey, jump on board. Here's something that I do and I'm inviting you to do it with me. I'm actually giving you the ability to be like me in the world. Wow. It's un. Believable if it weren't true that God would love us enough not only to save us but to invite us into his activity in the world by giving us the ability to love others as he has loved. So is love really that important? Yes. I mean... I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, so i got to give you more than a one-word answer, but I kind of could leave it there, right? It really is just that important. See, God is love in His very nature. God's loved us in the past through His birth, through the birth, death, and resurrection of His Son. And then God compels you to love others because it is that important. So what's the invitation this morning? Number one, if you've never known the love of God through salvation in Jesus Christ, this morning I invite you to come. I would love to introduce you to Christ as your Lord and Savior. Look, if you don't want to come up here to me, maybe you know somebody else in this sanctuary, grab somebody. Somebody that knows the Lord, I'd love to talk with you about how you could know Christ. The second thing though this morning is simple. Are you willing 
To love others as Christ has commanded you to do? In word and deed. Husbands, there's probably some of you that need to begin this by going home and looking at your wife and saying, I love you. And I'm going to show you how much. There's some parents in here. You need to sit down maybe before you get out of this room today and look at your children and say, I love you and I'm proud of you. And I've not done enough to show you, but today, start something new. Some of you need to be praying about those people in your life who are hard to love. Praying for a way that you might show the love of Christ. And I want to encourage you that as you do, you may make an impact on their life. That's what we'll pray for. But here's the promise. God's going to make an impact in your life. See, that's the, that's the crazy thing. Jesus says, go do. And he doesn't hold you accountable if you don't get the results that you're after. But then he blesses you as you go. What a blessing. What a privilege. As we stand and sing this morning, there may be something else on your heart. Some of you may have shown up here today without hope. You'd like to come up here and pray as we sing. Perhaps you'd like to come and I have me pray with you. There's nothing special about my prayer, but I promise you this. I'll put my arms around you and I'll pray with you. Whatever it is that the Lord is leading you toward this morning, as we stand and as we sing, I pray that you'd be obedient, that you would be more committed today to loving God and loving others and experiencing the love of God in a new way as you obey Him. Stand with me as we pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you first loved us in Jesus Christ. You sent him as a propitiating sacrifice for our sins. Thank you, Lord God, that you've held on to us when we didn't hold on to you. That your love was more than a feeling, Father God. It was a commitment. It was an activity of love. An activity, Lord God, that has brought us in a relationship with you. Be with us, we pray, as we sing. Lord God, for those here today who need to make a decision. I pray, Lord God, you give them courage to trust you in Christ's name. Amen.